Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. everybody uh i'm andy richter and you are listening to the three questions and uh i got a real freaking rock star on here today um, he's uh he is uh the the well you started out being the you started out being just death cab for cutie but then you that became a band uh postal service and your solo work i'm talking to ben gibbard hi Hello, Andy. It's good to see your face again. It's good to see you too. I like that you got all the rock and roll stuff behind you too. The basses, the guitars. Oh the, yeah. The Marshall stack, the gold record. Damn. Yeah. You know, I, I when I kind of put my little studio together, uh, I did it in a in a pre pandemic uh, manner that, I, and I didn't think that this would be something that the world would start seeing <laughs> right in I know 2020 when I was doing the live stream so right right uh, you know it, it it looks more curated than it than it was meant to be you know like yes after the pandemic when they started with that you know room raider bullshit you know people would start kind of like putting some books up in a corner that right look interesting or like a photo of them with a famous person or something and this is just how it's been from no I, I understand it and I actually I appreciate too that it's obviously it's a workroom and like you have, there is, I mean, people can't see this, but behind the guitar rack, there's a platinum record like hid hidden behind the guitar rack. And I love that. Cause I, I always think like, like it's always weird to me to go into somebody's houses in showbiz where they just have pictures of themselves everywhere and like their stuff and their trophies kind of everywhere. Like to me, it's sort of like, uh, you know, put that stuff like there should be like one room, like a guest bathroom, like a powder room with all yeah. your Oscars in there or something, you know? So yeah. I, I like that they're kind of tucked away in your work because it's work, you know? There's that separation between work and life that I, you know, especially when you're working from home, as yeah, we all and, are now. Yeah, and as we accrued, you know, we've got a couple gold records, a couple platinum records. You get these, you know, I guess they're kind of awards. Uh, um or, or just kind a of memento, like, yeah, memento, yeah, and uh, and 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 you're and you're kind of initially not sure where to put it because you're. I am proud of the fact that our records have done as well as they have. Yeah, to kind of present them in the living room felt maybe a little, <laughs> a little over the top, you know. But also, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to put them like in the basement bathroom or something. Right, either. right, so right. It felt like you know while I'm sitting in here in my studio trying to write new songs. Uh, this is a good place for me to be reminded of my past glories. You know? Right, right. 
and and also the pressure of them breathing exactly. all that all those those metal discs breathing down your neck. Well, uh, and it's also it's also kind of a, a reminder of a bygone era when uh, people actually bought records. You yes, know? yes, uh, which is which is just not something that really occurs anymore. You know, let's just talk about that right off the top because you there's a new Death Cab for Cutie single uh, called Here to Forever. Uh, Flipside, Roman Candles. Um, and uh, how, I mean, how does that work now? You just, it, I mean, do you just come up with a song and you put it out just because like, hey guys, let's put out a song or is there some calculation involved that this single will, there's an album coming and there's a sing, so this single will drum up interest or, you know, how did, yeah, what's, so what's the calculation behind it nowadays? Well, we, we have a record coming out on September 16th called Asphalt Meadows. So, uh, here to forever is the first official single from that record. And, uh, Roman candles was kind of a teaser track that we put out, uh, in a couple months ago. Um, so I think one of the, uh, I think, I think one of, one of the most, uh, liberating things about how music is consumed now is that you really can do it any way that you want to. If you want to just kind of trickle out singles over the course of, you know, a handful of years and then go out and play shows and have those singles be part of the live set, whatever people can do that. If they want to make full albums every couple of years in a more traditional uh, fashion, they can do that. If they want to put out EPs every six months or whatever, they can do that. It's just, you know, I, I think that while there are elements of the, how the music, how music is consumed now that are frustrating to me as an old person who kind of grew up yeah, on yeah. physical medium, uh, I do think that I would much rather live in an era that is more egalitarian as far as people's access to music, that you are, you know, a young artist is not being hindered by the distribution of their CD as to whether or not you right. or hear it, you know, in your home, uh, you know, and so you can be a kid making music in Fargo, North Dakota, and it doesn't matter that you're not a part of the music industry. Right. But, so, but for, for me and for my band, we still very much value the traditional album as a statement, you know, I, I would, I don't think I'd want to move towards uh, output that is just merely a song every couple of months. Yeah. I, I like creating a, a cohesive statement that kind of comes out every three or four years for, for us now. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you get used to being a novelist and you don't want to just release chapters, you know, like here's a new chapter, you know, <laughs> it's like it, it, I, I can completely understand that. And I'm also with you with like, there's the TV and movie, although it's more TV analog of being old and not understanding how things work and kind of loving it, but also kind of, I don't like not understanding things. Like I don't like that. It doesn't just doesn't make, I, and I've said this before on here, you know, the notion of like, you're a big hit on YouTube still to me feels like, Oh, you got a little cottage industry. You like you got an Etsy shop where you're making belts. Like, no, no, that's real. Oh, like that. They're they're outpacing you, dummy. Like this, you know. Absolutely. The key, you know, and it's and I, I I'm trying to get my head wrapped around that, but then I'm also kind of like I don't know if I can, and then maybe I should just not worry about it. You know. So. Yeah, I mean, I I have some friends who uh, make a living uh, with off their YouTube channel they're they are on youtube that is their job yeah uh, and you know they are people around my age and they will tell me yeah i go to these youtube conferences and you know some person will walk in and you will think that like the beatles 
just walk, yeah. right? And to me, it, we always have this joke where we go overseas on tour and we turn on the TV in like the UK or Germany or something like that. And, you know, I can't remember, some comedian made this joke at some point, so I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but it's like, you know, look at all these people on TV in Germany pretending they're famous, you know? <laughs> you, don't, you know, you don't, know. You know it's like, I have, when you have no context for somebody's notoriety or fame, it seems either fake or completely fabricated. Right, right, right. Up, right? So, or, and, of, or of a lesser quality. Exactly. Too. So, yeah, yeah it's like you know, we, we're, we are of a generation that movies and TV and, uh, you know, major label artists or whatever, like those are the, you know, those are the, the echelons of fame in, in, in each one of these particular kind of disciplines. And yet now we're living in a world where, yeah, a kid can have millions and millions of YouTube followers and put up videos that get, you know, millions, if not billions of views. And people like you and I will have no idea who they are. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the first time I, and this, I mean, it's not the same now because there's kind of more of a blend and Nashville's become much more of a just general music city instead of just the, its own self-appointed music city, which was just country music. But I remember going down there and feeling like I'm on a different planet. Like there are some people here who are just hot shit who, you know, you could stop 20 people on the street in Los Angeles or Seattle or Milwaukee and say, you know, do you know who, you know, uh, you know, you know, Josh Green River is and they'd be <laughs> nope. But in Nashville, you know, he's the king of the town. And, and it's it is it is true. It's like and it I also, it's I still I, I mean, I feel very provincial. But whenever I go out of this country and I see someone that's like, oh, it's that big star, that big music star. And I just feel like how big a star can you really be if you're just a big star in the UK? And it's like. A big star, you idiot. <laughs> you yeah, well, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. We we played, this is about, I think, 2008. Uh, we were invited to play a music festival in Seoul, South Korea. Yeah. And it was being put on, we were told it was being put on uh, by this musician named Sataji. And we were like, okay, cool. We I don't know who that is, but that sounds Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. And, he, and he's personally invited you guys to play this festival. So, great, okay. So, we get to uh, we get to Seoul, long flight, uh Everybody's really kind of burned out and everything like that. And, um, and uh, you know, they, we get to the hotel and they're immediately like, you need to go to this press conference right now. We need to go into this room. And we're like, okay, sure, whatever. We go in there and it is just like, you know, like an NBA finals kind of mm-hmm. phalanx of people with cameras. And they're all asking us questions like, how honored are you to be that Sataji asked you to play <laughs> his festival? And Thankfully, we played along with it. We're like, oh, I mean, of course, you know, I mean, wow, it's you know, yes, it's a it's a huge honor. And then they'd be like, who, what are your favorite songs by Sataji? And we were like, well, I mean, God, you really can't pick one, right? They're all so great. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, nobody had any idea, and we and we were just completely blindsided by this experience. And we got back. We finally got to our rooms, and we were, you know, all got on our computers individually and started looking up who Sataji was. And the explanation was. Um, the only, the only counter, the, the only, uh, equivalent to how famous Sataji is in South Korea would be Michael Jackson in America in the mid eighties. Wow. And we were like, holy shit, man, nobody bothered to tell us this. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody from the, nobody who booked the, the show in, you know, the South Korea, the Korean kind of, uh, kind of part of our record company right. bothered to tell us what a big deal this was. And we realized soon after Oh no, of course they wouldn't tell you because it would be like as if I said, um, 
Yeah, uh, Andy, Bruce Springsteen would love to have you up on stage tonight. You'd be like, holy shit, Bruce Springsteen? Right, yeah, of course right. I know who that is. You don't need to tell me. Right. You made a record called Born to Run and uh, Born in the USA. You're like, yeah, 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 of course yeah, I know. Yeah. You tell me that. So, you know, it was it was a, it was a, such a wild experience to kind of find ourselves in this world that was so foreign to us and to be kind of faced with someone who was so matter-of-fact famous there that yeah. no one bothered to tell us that it was a big deal. Yeah. And thankfully, you know, we played it off well enough that we were able to cover our asses, but it could, I mean, we left that experience being like, how poorly could this have gone? Yeah, yeah. We had been like, who the fuck is Sata G? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who the fuck is that guy? I don't know any of that guy's songs. Well, I don't blame, I don't blame anyone from their organization for not, for assuming, but like you're, tour manager should have been like, Oh, by the way, guy, like they should have looked it up, you know, oh, but, like, no, but, but, but also if some, but I, I mean, I kind of give our management a little bit of a pass too. Cause they were like, yeah, it's a festival. This guy put it on. I guess he's kind of like a musician. They're like, okay, cool. Like it would be, <laughs> you know, I mean, people yeah, that yeah. Happens all the time, you're like, yeah, the guy from this band uh, wants you guys to do his little festival. Cool. Let's do it, man. That's awesome. But yeah, but not like, Oh, it's the biggest star in this country. Yeah. So, yeah. Very, very touch and go moment for us. I do kind of love that because I do find things that sort of impose humility on you when you're in the entertainment business or you're a person that's a known quantity. Things that force humility on you, I think, are just like, I don't believe in heaven, but I feel like there's signs from heaven. You know, it's like, it's like, don't get too big for your britches. And I don't know whether that's just the Midwestern in me or not, but I do think, you know, I do think that like, Reminding yourself of your own, mm, eh, you know, just your own sort of like I, I, having some humility is a very important, an important paving stone of your road ahead. I think, I don't know how you feel about it. You're, I mean, you probably have a big, huge ego and you're probably a nightmare from what I, hey, I'm, I'm terrible to deal yeah, with. Yeah. Um, no, you know, I, I, to your point, um, I think we've all, I think in, in our careers, we've probably both seen um, as people ascend uh, in fame and notoriety, the circle of people who uh, will push back on them get smaller and smaller. Yes. And <clears throat> the people who will say yes to them continues to kind of, uh, you know, get bigger, right? Yes. Um, and, and so... It's been, I've heard it said that people tend to be frozen kind of emotionally in the age where they got famous because that's the point at which people stopped saying no to them. Yeah. Um, and it, ta- it, re- it requires a particular type of, God, dare I say, upbringing or, you know, kind of self of sense, self, sense of self-awareness to kind of maintain a circle of influence that will tell you when you're, you're being kind of bullshit about something, mm-hmm. right? So- and in and in those circles that are all telling you yes, they are also you are you are the center, literally the center of that circle, and you it is possible to be given the impression that you are the most important person either in your field or in this room or mm-hmm. or what have you, right? So yes, yeah, so those moments are incredibly important to be um, to be reminded of your impermanence and uh, that while what you do might bring entertainment or great joy to people that there are a lot of people who do what you do and will continue to do the thing that you do. And, and that, um, you know, to kind of get, kind of force a little bit of a little bit of perspective upon, uh, you know, your place in the world, let alone your place in the entertainment industry. 
Yeah, I I could not agree more. And I've said virtually the same thing, just in different words, for decades now, because it was, you know, once I got on television, I had, I mean, I was kind of, I had an interesting perspective of sitting next, next to fame quietly for many, many years. And that, you know, while my notoriety sort of grew, but didn't, I mean, I'm, mine's very manageable. I can go to the grocery store whenever I want and nobody gives a shit and I wouldn't have it any other way. But I've always said, and it's like, you stop being told no about things. And that is so dangerous. And that if you do get into a situation where you are famous and money and you got people that are sort of catering to you, the the easiest path, the path that water will seek is to become a maniac, to become an asshole because you don't ever hear no again. So you start to think, I think I might be infallible. I think I might be right about everything. And you have to push back. You have to make extra effort to remind yourself when you're surrounded by people saying, yes, 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 to go like, I don't know, you know, uh, maybe I am being out of line here or keep people around that sort of can talk to you in the same way that you would be taught that you would have been talked to prior to. Being I, I, I com- yes, I completely agree. And I think to add to that, um, you know, when I, I lived in L.A. for three years, I, you know, I was married to an actress and I kind of found myself in these circles with people who were um, very famous at times or had been, you know, famous since they were very small. And I remember um, I remember going out to a dinner with someone who, will, of course, remain nameless. And, uh, you know, over the I'll get the name later You'll after we finish yeah, yeah. recording. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and a wonderful person. Um but uh, she would say things like, um, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, me and my, my one of my best friends. Well, he's also my contractor, but uh, he's one of my best <laughs> friends. And we go up to Malibu all the time. So wonderful. And, you know, we just I just got back from Mexico and I was with like a couple of my best friends. Well, I mean, they're also my assistants, but, you know, they're my best friends. And um, and I, I don't doubt and, and and this kind of kind of trope kind of continued over the course of the evening. And it it started to feel to me, um, uh, this person seemed fairly well adjusted and they were kind and, um, um, but it, it seemed like a kind of sad and unintended consequence of that echelon of fame Yeah, where, um, at a certain point you're just working so much or you're being pulled in so many directions that maintaining relationships with people who are not on the payroll, uh, becomes very difficult. You know, if you're mm-hmm. an actor and you're on you're like on location nine months out of the year and, and, you know, you don't get to see the people who um, you consider your real friends. If you even, you know, if I can be so cynical, even have those people in your yeah, life. Yeah. Uh, and then it's the people who work for you, who become your closest confidants. And then, but it's very, it's a very, it's a complicated relationship that one has with somebody who's being paid to be there. I mean, we are on tour often and we have people who work for the band who I admire and I have, you know, a particular kind of fondness for and relationship with. Um, but it's something I have to check myself from time to time to be like, this this person who I do care about um, is being paid to be here and get me my dinner, you know? Yeah. So uh, we can, we have a relationship, 
Um, but I need to be very cognizant of the nature of that relationship and make sure that I don't tip, my life doesn't tip over into having only those type of relationships. Yeah, yeah. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Your, your dad was in the Navy, correct? He was, yes. So you did some moving around. I mean, how how long in your life were you, you know, the Navy brat that, <laughs> uh, you know, re, re, had to relocate every now and then? Yeah, we, my, my dad went into the military as, uh, he enlisted at 17 into the Navy and then came out, uh, went back in as an officer. And uh, so I think we moved between being born and when I was about 15, I think we moved six times. Uh, so, you know, I was born in Bremerton, Washington, and then we moved here, then we moved back, then we moved here, then we moved back. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, th- I think my parents, you know, to this day feel like, like they did, a, did us a disservice by moving us around a lot, that it was... Uh, it was difficult at times, but I, I felt like in looking back, I was just about to start getting in trouble whenever we moved. Like I was just, I was just starting to roll with like a, <laughs> you know, like, like a bad crowd, not like necessarily a bad crowd, but like, you know, in like, in like the teen movie that there's a kid who's always like, Hey guys, I don't know if we should be doing this. And then yeah. they're the one in the, in the handcuffs in the back of the police car. That was yeah. me. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I was never the guy doing the, doing the, uh, doing the crimes, so to speak. I was just the one saying, maybe yeah. we shouldn't do this and then getting caught for it, even if I yeah. didn't do it. So I was pretty not good at being bad. But um, so in a way, every time that we moved, I felt like it was right on the cusp of me starting to kind of get into some shit I should have been getting into. But I think it also um, kind of set a precedent for how I've lived my life since in the sense that I've, I'm very comfortable with travel and very comfortable with kind of moving locations yeah, you know, not often, but it, it's not something that, you know, it's kind of been how I've lived most of my life. Yeah, I was going to ask if that impacted the way that you did business, you know, I'm, and I'm, I did business, I mean, you know, 
interact with people and and uh, and make you comfortable with traveling. And also, I think that y- you know y- y- you get an outsider's uh, perspective. Because you're changing more frequently than most people are. So I think you become a more astute observer because you just have more data to sift through than than most people do. I think that might be true. I think from a very young age, I I remember feeling as if I could, I could walk into a room and kind of uh, read. I could read the room in a way that... Um, that maybe other kids couldn't in the sense yeah. that I could, I could kind of read the kids who maybe were looking at me and, you know, kind of with some kind of, you know, malice or like I could, I could pick out the bully, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could kind of tell when, you know, the kids that seemed kind. Um, and it, I don't know if that was something in, inherent in who I was or if it was a function of moving a lot, but, you know, in changing environments often, especially as a, as a kid, when you, you just, kids just want to feel safe and they want to feel like they've got a place and they've got a, you know, a, um, you know, it's like kid, they need some kind of structure and kind of like, okay, what are the rules? What do I, you know, what am I, what can I do? What I can I do? Um, uh, you know, that was off, that was shifting often for me because we moved so much and, you know, I, we would go from living in Bremerton, which is a pretty working class kind of town. Uh, you know, the idea of, you know, like watching TV and seeing like rich people on TV was like, I don't know anybody like that. You know, it's yeah, yeah. living in this kind of very, you know, middle-class working class town and then moving to the suburbs of Chicago uh, where inexplicably there's a Navy base. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Which is wild when you really think about it. Um, and my dad was stationed there and then I was going to school in uh, at a private school in Lake Forest, Illinois, which was a very, very affluent suburb. Of, yes, I'm familiar. Of Chicago and yeah. kids getting dropped off at limo and limos and and realizing that being not even poor but just not rich was uh, was a point of derision and uh, and and kind of you know that we were mocked for being poor you know yeah and in actuality we were now we were staunchly middle class but you know. And so it was, it was just very odd for me in that moment in my life, you know, 10 years old or whatever, realized like, oh, money is a thing that people, people think they're better than other people if they have money. Yeah. What an, what an, what, an, what a weird concept, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't, I'm not sitting here saying that it like scarred me for life or something like that, but it was these kind of recalculations that I was constantly making as a young person um, based on my environment that I think is a large part of um you know, the kind of becoming the type of writer that I became and mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm always observing, I'm always kind of walking to, into a room and kind of looking for the exits, so to speak. And, you know, <laughs> kind of like, I feel like, you know, like Jason Bourne or something like that. I'm yeah, walking, yeah. Keeping I'm like, your okay, back just... to the corner so you can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. often, I often have this thing. I, whenever I, we go out to eat with um, people or even, even with just my wife, I always insist on sitting what I call gunslinger. Which is yeah. like I have to be if there's a seat where I can be, I can see, I can see the whole restaurant because you never know what's going to go down. Yeah, yeah. I need to sit in that seat. Now, what what is that? I mean, do you, is it because I'm kind of the same way, but it's more just because uh, I want to. I 
I I I want to I want to eavesdrop. I want to you know like I want to spy on people. I want to watch the comings and goings. You know, it's like when my son was a baby, and there's those baby Bjorns. He from I mean from when he could lift his own head, insisted on facing outwards. Like he always wanted to scope out what was going on. And I feel like that's the same way. I mean, are you are you really paranoid? Are there people out to get you? Are there? Do you have deep uh, depths that, that you're not, not that I'm aware of. I, I, I feel like I'm, I feel like, I, well, you know, I've got a list. <laughs> They're probably, you know, it's like, you know, God, you know, there's always, as I've, you know, I've, I've known people who've had people following them. It only takes one person to change how you, how you live your life. Right. So you got, <laughs> it sure just, does. You really got to just hope yeah. that happens, but um, no, it's, it's not, it's not a paranoia. It's certainly not like a check me out guys. It's not that. Yeah. 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 Know? Like, yeah, I, I didn't think it was. Yeah, it's it's definitely me, guys. You don't don't uh, you know <laughs> one at a time, people. Please. Um, yep, that's right. I'm that guy from that thing. Yep, you know it. Yeah, you you yeah you remember that record from 15 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, I I I think I just I I I like to be um, always aware of my surroundings. Mm-hmm. That might be. Uh, to maintain a sense of comfort uh, or to feel kind of at ease to kind of know, you know, I mean, you joke about like, yeah, somebody's that, you know, if you're sitting with your back to the rest of the restaurant, somebody could just come, come out with a, you know, cast iron, just whack you over the head, you know, you got to sure. be prepared for that. Right. It's not that it's more just like, yeah, I just like to kind of see what's going on in here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and it's hopefully never to the detriment of the people I'm sitting with. It's not like I'm doing that Hollywood thing where I'm like looking over, somebody's shoulder to see if there's somebody more sure. in the room. Um, it's just that I kind of, I, I like to be, uh, I like to be amongst the people and kind of feel like I'm a part of a larger kind of setting. That's not just the three people or four people that I'm sitting with at the table. Yeah. Um, when, at what point did you start to really feel like music was going to be the thing for you? Well, I always, I think maybe when I was, 13, 14 years old, the only thing I wanted in the world was to be in a band. That's, that's yeah. the only thing I wanted to do. I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't think of myself as like a solo artist or something like that. I just, I loved bands. I loved the concept of being in a band and it's like a little gang and you, you're, you're friends and you kind of get into adventures and what know, maybe, bands were inspiring you at that point when you're at 13? Um, It was kind of a hodgepodge of things that were a little more mainstream and on the radio, like The Cure and yeah. R.E.M. Uh, but also I was starting to kind of discover um, underground music, punk rock and indie rock and things like that. And so, you know, I, I was I was a huge fan of bands like Super Chunk and um, uh, yeah, a band called Tree People that eventually became Built to Spill. Um, oh, yeah. And uh and a lot of the stuff that was happening in the Northwest at that point, um, I loved the descendants um, and, and just kind of, I, I just, you know, the bands that I, I admired the most, if they had a visual component, it was that it was really strong on the collective, right? Yeah. It wasn't like the singer is in focus and the rest, there's like some shadowy guys behind right. them. Just kind of like, you know, you know, in the, in the background, like I, I, I really liked the idea of a, of a, like a collective, like a team, you know? Um, but so much of the music that I was moved by was underground music 
in the sense that, yeah, it's it's possible that maybe this band would go on tour and, you know, make enough money to pay the rent for a couple of months. Maybe they'd sell 10 or 20,000 records. And if they had like a 50-50 split with an indie label, maybe they could kind of eke out a living over like a, the period of time that they're doing the band intensely, but that music was not music was not something that you could do for a living. It was, something yeah. that, it was a temporary, it was like, it was like a vacation from real life that you might be able to get for a couple of years while things were going well. And then eventually you'd have to like go back to grad school or something like that. So, um, and that, and that's also, that's the world that I wanted to be in. That's, that's the world that I, you know, the idea of being, um, on a major label or like being a rock star or something like that just seemed like a completely asinine, uh, uh, goal because it's like, you know, it's certainly coming as a kid who kind of came up in the eighties and then, you know, became a teenager in the you know late eighties, early nineties. It's like, you know, on one hand, you know, we had the benefit of kind of coming of age with, you know, a lot of the music that was popular in the North, all around the world from the Northwest at that point with like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, they were putting forth a very kind of like art forward, <clears throat> you know, um, rock stars are bullshit kind of attitude yeah but at the same time i had i had come out of you know the 80s at a time where like the music on the radio was like hair metal right? sure and it was like and everything was larger than life and like you know in my i've said this a number of times but you know i was given the real impression that the only way you could be in a band is if you looked a certain way and you played a you could play with a certain level of proficiency and so for to to discover punk rock and independent music and kind of come to this realization that like, Oh no, if you, you can, you learn like two chord, you learn one chord, you can start a band. Yeah. It doesn't, you don't have to be, you don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be a certain yeah, a gender or you don't have to be a, you know, you can be whatever you, you can be, whatever you want. Yeah. You present your music however you want. And it sounds like kind of a little bit kind of trite to say that was a huge eye opener for me, but you know, when you're, when you're living in a world with limited information, yeah. there's, no, there's no internet in 1990 that, right. that we had. Right. Right. So, right. So you're, you're really, yeah, when you poison and motley crew, and then, you know, <laughs> you're, you look at those kind of bands and think, I don't fit into that. You know, how am yeah, I going to, yeah. How am yeah, I going to do that? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, growing up in a pre-internet world, you, you were, you were kind of, uh, you know, you were resigned to the, the little information that you could get be be it from zines or college radio if you were lucky enough to live yeah. in the proximity of a college radio station and thankfully uh you know i was uh and to have friends who had like older brothers who were into cool shit yeah and you know it's like who would like oh, i stole my brother's bad brains tape you want to borrow it like hell yeah i want to borrow that like yeah you that that's how it was back then and i don't think it's necessarily any better or worse than how kids discover music now. I mean, honestly, I'm pretty fucking jealous of the fact that, you know, kids can just like dial up whatever they want right now. Yeah. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. 
Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? I've talked about this before because I'm about 10 years older than you. And so it was even, and I was, you know, I was a teenager at the beginning of, and I'm doing air quotes, new wave. Um, so you had to buy the fucking album. Like if there were, you know, you know, like there was, nobody was playing talking heads in Illinois when talking heads first came out or, you know, like some of my early favorite, like Joe Jackson and, you know, Elvis Costello and the cure, you know, that you mentioned, but you had to go buy the album and just take a, you know, they were only six or $7 at the time, but still it was like the notion that you can hear about a Well, first of all, hear about a band, which I used to read a little blurb in Rolling Stone that sounded kind of interesting and go buy the album based on that. And just like, that's so blind Compared to, like you said, just, oh, that clickety-clack. Oh, here it is, the entire album. You know, I'm listening to it. Didn't cost me a dime. Uh, I, I guess I'm just sound like an old man beefing, and maybe that's what I am. Well, I mean, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily think so. I think that, you know, we've had a very different lived experience in our relationship to music than young yes. people now. And I, I, was, I got in this kind of a similar conversation with, uh, you know, a little name dropy, but... He's a friend of mine, uh, Mr. Bob Mould from uh, yeah. Purdue and, and Sugar, and we were yeah. having a conversation, and I was taking the position, which I still hold, which is that I think that I think that because people of our generation and older had to walk the proverbial ten miles in the snow uphill both ways to the record store mm-hmm. to get you know the, the punk rock seven inch, and that 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 the strife that we had to kind of undergo to get that piece of media made it more special than if someone just dialed it up on their phone. And yeah. I was taking the position that I th- I don't agree with that. I think that, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily matter how music comes into your life. If it makes a huge impact on you, if, right. if you had to walk 10 miles in the snow, each direction to get the seven inch, or if you just dialed it up on your phone and you loved it and it changed your life, it doesn't matter. And Bob said something to me that is stuck with me and I've given him credit on num- numerous occasions as he said, well, it's not how music comes into your life. It's how it leaves. If you are able to just swipe it away with your finger versus even just getting up and taking the disc out of the player or flipping the record over mm-hmm. or, you know, you know, it's, it sounds, you know, it makes us sound so lazy that, you know, you know, there's been times where I've been sitting in my living room listening to a record and, you know, there's a, it gets to a song that I don't like. And I'm too lazy to walk the 10 feet over and just move the stylus. <laughs> lift the needle, track, yeah. Right? Lift the needle. And you're like, ah, okay, that's a song. Whatever else I keep playing. And then eventually sometimes those songs, they crack open. And you're like, actually, yeah. I love that song now. Yeah. And it's all because um, I wasn't able to swipe it away as easily as as if it was on my phone. I just can't tell Siri to like, skip the song or something like that. Right. So I think he had a really good point there. And it's, it's not to say, it's not to take a kids today kind of 
um, position on it, but as much to say that, yeah, I mean, you know, we've all been there when we're trying, we're trying to find something to watch or something like that. Right. And that we, we have a gazillion streaming services and there is just a glut of, you know, you know, shows vying for the prestige TV logo now. Yeah. And, you know, certainly during the pandemic, uh, you know, somebody was always like, oh my God, have you watched this show? Oh, you got to watch it. Well, you have, but have you seen this show? I mean, how many times you've been at dinner with people and it, the conversation has devolved into what we're watching and everybody's talking about a different show that they're watching and why it's great. So then it's, you're, you're at home. You're, I mean, you always try to start, wa- start watching something new and you know, you just, you open up Netflix or Apple plus or whatever the fuck. And you, all of a sudden it's a half hour later and I haven't found anything to watch uh-huh. I, because there's, because I'm, I'm making that calculation of like, okay, well, if I watch this for five minutes and I don't like it, do I have to keep watching? Actually kind of, I don't, I can just, I can just right. swipe away and watch something else. And maybe if, and I think that there is something to be said about, uh, you know, media that we have to kind of sit through, be it watching it or listening to it. And maybe after we've experienced it, then we're able to really form an opinion on it instead of just 30 seconds or five minutes into it. We don't like it. We're just like, eh, whatever. Let's just get rid of it and move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, too, sometimes, you know, you get, it's like, okay, enough. I've, I've had, <laughs> you know, I just recently, I've given myself the permission now because I'm, I have a bad thing of, I, I, it's like this duality in me of terms of, if I start a movie that's sort of middling to shitty and I might just get caught up in the plot and need to know what happens to these poorly written people that I know aren't real, you know, like I have to stick it out cause I want to know what happens. But I also have found lately, I've been giving myself the permission to check out a hot new show that everyone's talking about and get three episodes in and go like, you know what? Fuck this. I, I, you know, I don't enjoy this very much. I, and I also, too, being a television professional, just see the seams. You know, I don't know if you're that way with a lot of music where you just kind of think like, oh, I see how they edited that or or that's an interesting way that they, you know, ripped off the Beatles or whatever, you know, I mean, because my TV viewing is full of that. I just like I just hear that sometimes the lines I hear the writer in the room pitching it and being so pleased with themselves. And, you know, it's it's it spoils everything. But but, yeah, you can. I mean, I still think. Yeah, no. And especially when there's such a huge pile of homework to do when it's you know, when it comes to like the television to watch, if you you know, if you choose to engage with it, it can feel like an obligation. You know, if you want to sort of like swim in that kind of mainstream, you it's like, oh man, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of time to commit. Yeah. I mean, keeping up, keeping up with what's current, uh, certainly I would imagine in TV, but definitely in music is incredibly difficult. Now. It gets so harder and harder. Incredibly to, difficult. And I was music. I I, I don't know any new, uh, new music is so hard for me because it's so hard to sift out. I don't know what you know. Just the old indicators of like, oh, this radio station. If it's playing here, I'll probably like it. Now it's just it's, I'm on my own, and I just it's hard to sift through. It's it, it's it can become like a second or third job. Um, and I was I was out to lunch with um, like a younger musician, like record producer and you know we were just talking about music that we liked and i was 
you know, I was telling him like, look, I mean, my listening has basically almost devolved to just like the Velvet Underground and like Pharaoh Sanders. Like, it's, it's like, I don't know. I'm not, you know, yeah. I, I it, you know, it's, it's become so difficult for me to kind of truly stay atop of, you know, this tsunami of new music that's coming out every week. And, you know, he is a younger guy, maybe 24, 25. And he was like, look, man, I, I gotta be honest. I mean, this is my, I do this for a, a living and, and I, and I can't, I, it, I can't do it. So wow. I, can't, I, 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 would, I would imagine it would be incredibly difficult for you. Um, who's also heard so much music at this point to kind of continually like be listening with a discerning ear. And, and I, and I found, and I've, you know, made this point a couple of times over, you know, in the past, but I, I, you know, a lot gets made of, um, you, know, you know, often you'll hear people say kind of dismissive things like, Oh, I don't know, just music today, man. It's just like, not, it's not as good as it was when we were teenagers or whatever bullshit kind of excuse for, for not yeah. attention. And, and I really, I mean, obviously that's a pretty, pretty stupid thing to say, but I also think that the reason that one is given that impression is because when you get to be my age or your age, you've heard so much music. Yeah. You've heard so many things come around two or three times, you know, yeah. styles of music. So, you know, when I, you know, if, take a band like a band that I love, like the Jesus and Mary chain, love that band. And, you know, I first heard the Jesus and Mary Chain when I was younger, and I Im immediately fell in love with them. And now, you know, enough years have gone by since their high watermark that I've heard that sound come back. Yes. Two or three times. And, yes. and then to have people, you know, people who are like the tastemakers in independent music be like, you're, you're not going to believe how amazing this band is. I'm like, yeah, the band that sounds exactly like the Jesus and Mary yes. Chain. And like, if you're a young person who's not familiar with the Jesus and Mary chain, well, by all means, you're going to love that band. Yes. But if, but at the, I'm getting to a point now where when I hear a band in 2022, that sounds like that, it just makes me want to go back and listen to the records, the original records. And yeah. that's, that's, and the more music you hear, the more discerning your ear gets, the more, um, things you have to compare new music to. And it's not that, and I truly believe that the most interesting music that's ever been made is being made right now. Um, oh, okay. And, and I believe that is the case because of just the, just the, the advancements in technology, like the, the, uh, the movement away from traditional instrumentation that a lot of young people are, are using now. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just like, okay, you get your, two, get a buddy who plays guitar and your, your homie plays bass and I'm the singer and the drummer. And that's a band. That's what music sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's just splintered off into all of these subgenres that, are overwhelming uh, to me. But when I hear things that are new, there are often moments where I go like, if you put a gun to my head, I wouldn't know how to make this. Yeah. Up until the last 20 years, 20 years yeah. ago, I would hear something on the radio or somebody play me something and I could, I could parse out what the sounds were and how, and what was making them to some yeah. degree. Right. And now, um, it's, it's as if, it's as if, you know, um, you know, there is this palette that young people are using to make music that is uniquely their own and is so embedded in the, in technology and advancements in technology that have left me behind. Yeah. That, uh, it, it's incredibly fascinating to me. And it doesn't, it's not that I like it all, or I think that it's, uh, it's all like, you know, paramount stuff, but I think that that's something I always, I need to always take a second and recognize that, wow, I, this is, this is, this is truly innovative stuff. I'd never heard anything like this before. And it yeah. happens more often now than it did 
you know, when I was in high school, you know? Yeah. My 16 year old daughter has made me promise to stop saying things like, oh yeah, this band is great. Uh, I liked them when they were the cure, you know, like <laughs> you know, yeah. that she's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. Dad, shut up. Um, I wanted to bring something up because, uh, here to forever. I is, I really, it's, it's a, it's such a beautiful song and it really, um, the lyrics to it, I think are very, it's interesting to me within, within sort of like your canon, I guess, because it's kind of about, I'm going to tell you what your song's about. (laughs) No, I mean, you start out saying, watching movies from the fifties and thinking about how everybody's there is dead. And that sometimes your, I believe it's your dreams are in color and you try and fix them into black and white. And it's like this desire to sort of, I think derive comfort from the old systems that you don't believe in anymore. And I know that, that you're, you were raised Catholic and that, and I've seen some quotes where you, you know, you talk about how you're. I mean, do you consider yourself a lapsed Catholic? Is that the sort of thing? Or uh, just yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm an agnostic. Um, yeah. I, I I feel that um, I feel that the self righteousness that atheists feel is not dissimilar to the self righteousness that fundamentalists. Right. It's it's a it's a uh, it's 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 a um, it's like a uh, unwavering um, faith in their particular belief system on one right. side that, you know, Jesus Christ opened the gates of heaven, blah, blah, blah. And the other side, it's that there is no God and you're stupid for believing in one. Right, that, right. That, is, that, is, that is its own version of faith, which I yes. find interesting that atheists tend to feel as if they're not spiritual or religious, but in actuality, atheism is just as another stream of the religion as, as yeah yeah is. well the thing i like about agnosticism is it's a, the acknowledgement of the unknowable and that sounds like okay yep that's because i spirituality to me is not something that i concern myself very much uh and i you know and that i think it's just the way i'm built but it's just kind of i look at it as like i don't really know how a car works but i can drive one and I don't need, I'm not interested in how a car works really other than pushing gas and pushing brake. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about the universe. I can, you know, I'll, I certainly can ponder like, ah, what is, and you know, what, how did we get here? And especially with all the recent stuff with these super deep space pictures, mm-hmm. just the mind blowing shit of like, oh, they're getting, they're, <laughs> they're getting close to the end of the universe. Like they, you know, I've seen like where they're, they're getting pictures that are so far away that like, yeah, in a few years, we'll be able to see the end of the universe. And it's like, what does that even mean? Like, you know, like, like what, you know, I can't, I think of things, you know, like vessels within vessels and how can there be no big vessel? And so I just kind of then go make dinner Uh, and, you know, but I did think because of this, you know, you still there's an interest, you know, I still see in your music and, you know, when you go back to, um, I will follow you into the dark that, which is, is that, that's like your biggest single, right? I think it probably is. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because that one is kind of, it embraces the unknown. And now this new one kind of wishes you could get a handle on the unknown and maybe even using old, like I said, old systems to do it. And is that something that has kind of evolved in you and, and, you know, in like some sort of sense of spirituality or or mode of, of handling getting older, maybe? I, I think it's a subject that I keep coming back to often, I think, in large part to being brought up Catholic, um, because, you know, you know, I don't know if Catholicism is considered a fundamentalist religion, but it, it certainly is a very strict one. and An absolutist one. An absolutist yeah. one and carries itself with a very, very absolute um, kind of uh, set of rules and and dogmatic kind of, um, you know, uh, elements. And so I think that there's a long, there's, there's, there's like a long sunset on leaving the church, you know, not even formally. It wasn't like I stood up and made a big announcement and like walked out, but you know, there's a joke in Catholicism and like, yeah, you get confirmed and then you turn 18 and you don't have to go anymore, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, and my, my mom is, is still very practicing, uh, very, strong Catholic. Um, but I, I think it's it, the subject of, you know, what happens, the question of what happens to us after we die or what exists outside of ourselves is, uh, something that I, I find, you know, I've never not found fascinating. And here's an example. Um, my wife and I were, uh, we were, it was her birthday and we were having dinner with some friends, uh, and this little outside table, this is maybe three or four years ago. Uh, at a restaurant that we 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 like here in Seattle, and uh, two of the people at the table were another couple, um, and and she was a woman that I had dated years ago that we'd remained friends, and we had mm-hmm. lived together for a period, you know, long before. Um, and I had owned a house in this neighborhood, and uh, my first house was in a neighborhood called in, uh, called Ballard here in Seattle, mm-hmm. and me and this woman lived in this house together, and uh, so we're all at dinner, and this couple walks by. And they kind of look at me and they give me a second look. And I'm thinking like, oh, okay, they recognize me from the band. They kind of, they walk down the, the sidewalk a bit. They stop, they come back. And this woman goes, um, listen, I have a really, I have a, I have a kind of a weird question to ask you. I'm like, okay. And he's like, well, I bought your old house from the woman that you sold it to. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, um, was it haunted when you <laughs> lived there? And like, and I go, um, well, I don't really. And then, uh, this woman who I had dated and who had lived in the house, like spun around out of a conversation was like, yes, yes, it was. <laughs> and the woman on the street is saying like, so you, you hear, you, you would hear voice, like a, 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 a girl's voice, like in the closet, in the guest closet. And, you know, my friend who was like, yes, yes. Yeah. And it was in the, the downstairs closet. And it was this bizarre moment of confirmation of the fact that this house that I lived in allegedly was haunted by two people who did not know each other, who had experienced the exact same thing. Wow. And in my pragmatic mind, I was, I kind of went to like, well, but I mean, maybe it's like a pipe or something, right? It had to, maybe there was like a, <laughs> like a pipe that kind of sounded yeah, yeah. wild, maybe when the hot water was on. Right. You know, I, I, I couldn't allow myself to accept uh, that a if the house was haunted, that means that ghosts are real. Yeah, 
And if ghosts are real, that means there's some sort of afterlife or some kind of liminal space outside of our mortal, mortal, uh, mortal plane, you yeah. know, that, that the human spirit or whatever it might be can exist in. And in this moment, we had these two strangers uh, confirming to each other the same experience in a house that we all have lived in at some time. Yeah. And there was no way that this could have been set up. There was no way that it, this is, could have been uh, like a, a bit. You know? Right, right. Um, and, you know, those those kind of moments, you know, although not that, you know, on the nose, have happened enough in my life that it makes me feel that there has to be some kind of other plane of existence. Right. But what it is and what it's called um, is is somewhat related to the line in the song uh, in Here to Forever that, that's, that goes, um, you know, I want to feel the pressure of God or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And to me, it's the addition of of whatever that kind of removes the power of the concept of an all-seeing, all-knowing deity. Mm-hmm. You know, is, is it just like, yeah, it's God or, or whatever, man, like whatever, like ghosts or like, you know, aliens, whatever it is, just something, something that gives us any, some sense that there is something outside of this mortal plane we're living on. And I tend to kind of really struggle with, uh, you know, my kind of mathematical brain, my pragmatic brain that wants to kind of just like explain that, you know, oh, that there wasn't a ghost in three men and a baby. That was just like a, you know, that was like a cutout that was behind the, the, the right, shade, right, right, right? Right. that's what everybody thought. I wasn't really. That's a okay. grip. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, that's a... There has to be some logical explanation for right. uh, the phenomenon that we, we, we kind of attribute to uh, the spiritual world. I'm the same way. I feel like uh, I was just talking to my daughter about this the other day. Uh, Cause I was talking about a friend who owns a very old house and that his daughter says that she repeatedly feels someone come sit on the foot of her bed and that she said it, she feels that vibes that it's a very motherly presence. So she doesn't really worry about it. And my daughter said, no, uh, uh-uh, no, no, I got to move. And I, and I just said, I don't think I would even, I just feel like I don't have, I don't, I don't have those receptors. I feel like I'm the same way. I'm very, I mean, I just told you about my spirituality and I likened it to, you know, a mechanic working on a car. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I just, I'm the same way. I don't think it it would work for me. I do want to ask though, because you, you know, in the, you want to feel the pressure of God or whatever. Do you, do you really want the surety, you know, like the, the assuredness that your mom has that, that, that you know, what's you get a handle on it or is the not knowing. Okay. Well, the not knowing has to be okay because we have no other option. What else right? are you going to do? I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean well, your mom, favorite? your mom knows. I mean, I, I mean, but she doesn't, you yeah. know, I mean, you know, I, one of my favorite, I mean, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco has written so many great lines, but one of my favorite lines of his is from a a song called Theologians, in which he says, theologians don't know nothing about my soul. You know, you can study, you know, it's, it's, you know, the Pope knows as much about what happens to us after we die as I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The baby does. Um, And it's, and, you know, it's, it sounds like a, it sounds like a conversation that people would have, like, passing a joint around, but it's kind of that whole thing of like, you know what, man, like 
you know, like nobody knows, man, like, you know, it's, 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 it, but it's, it's, and just think of all the wars that had gotten started, man. Cause somebody thought they knew like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I believe in unicorns and you believe in centaurs and like, well, we should kill each other because, you right. know, you know, for, for the love of centaurs or something. Right. Um, and you know, it's just, I guess it's just how we're wired as human beings. We, we, we desire assurance and security and comfort and, you know, and, you know, death is an incredibly scary part of life. And, yeah. uh, and it, it certainly makes, makes the inevitability at least a little bit more tolerable if you, if you believe that you're going to go sit on like a golden throne next to Jesus or something, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that's a, I understand, I completely understand why people are seduced by uh, any kind of belief system that assures them that death is not the end. That involves fancy furniture. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you can, yeah. You can be in a cloud. Who doesn't want to live in a cloud? <laughs> well, what's, uh, what's in store for you? Where, you know, where, where are you going now, do you think? Uh, with I mean, a career life, you know, is there anything, is there anything special you got that you're aiming for Buy a boat, sail <laughs> the world? Yeah. What's that joke about the boat? It's like the happiest, two happiest days of owning a boat is when you buy it. When you sell, when you sell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest um, in between is drudgery. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, I don't know if this has been your lived experience, but I, I have gotten to do Everything, everything in my life at a certain point has just become complete gravy. Like I, I just feel so fortunate sitting here at 45, almost 46 to say that not only am I still doing the band that we started in college, but that people still patronize the band. They still come out to the shows. They still listen to the music. They, you know, it's, it's, it's truly it's truly amazing to me that the music that I and we wrote in, you know, bedrooms and basements and whatever else, you know, have some of that music has become so integral in people's lives in the same way that the cure or super chunk or whomever else has been integral in in my life. And it takes me back to a place and a time, but also I've grown with it. Um, and it's continued to kind of crack open, uh, as I've gotten older and I've learned, you know, I've kind of found new things to love in it. And it seems at least from where I'm, from my, where I'm sitting, that that's, that's the case for our music as, as it pertains to some people. So, um, you know, it's like you kind of blink and 20 years have gone by. Yeah. Right. And I don't say that in a, with this, any sense of, um, regret or melancholy, but just that I'm doing exactly what I want to do. And, and so the question of where I'm going is, is, is the answer is really, I'm just continuing down this path. Yeah. I, I don't, um, I, you know, it seems that the entertainment industry as a whole has now become this kind of homogenized, uh, thing where everybody's a triple threat and everybody, everybody wants to make records and act and host a competition show yeah. and write a book and have a podcast and that, you know, um, that b- it seems to me in my kind of cynical old man kind of view on things is that merely being a musician, merely being a songwriter, uh, or being in a band is seen as like, you're not doing enough. Yeah. 
that it's that music or doing music is just a one component of a larger brand identity. And I fucking hate that term that people have for themselves now of like, no, I, for my brand, I need to kind of get this clothing line going and, you know, I need to do A, B, and C. And for me, I, I've, I've, I've always felt very content and very satisfied and fulfilled just doing this thing professionally. Um, so, but having said that, there are these moments where I kind of wonder if in my single-minded kind of, uh, uh, kind of attitude towards my life, if I have like, if opportunities have passed me by or that, uh, you know, the, the road, you know, the road not traveled. Yeah. I think as the older we get, you know, at least I tend, tend to kind of like think about like, yeah, well, I've been on this one path for so long and there was a path that diverged back there at some point. What would my life have looked like if I had taken this other path? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of hard to not do that, but it's not, I, I don't, I don't kind of mute. I don't kind of muse on those kind of paths not taken out of a sense of being disappointed with where my life is or where I'm going. It's yeah. more just out of curiosity. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, Whenever people, I'll see somebody I haven't seen in a while. They're like, "Hey, man, what's going on? What are you doing? Anything new?" I'm like, "Yeah, just making records, playing shows. That's yeah, what yeah. I do. That's what I do. Like, there's, yeah. and and you know, for me, I want I'm trying to do it at, at the highest level as I possibly can as I get older, which is a difficult thing to do as a songwriter and as a band because I think, you know, one of the kind of beautiful, beautifully frustrating things about the position that I'm in is that, you know we have made some records that have been very impactful and important to people and they have defined eras in their lives. And it is incredibly difficult to create something 20 years after the thing that people really gravitated towards. And, and you, you, I've learned to kind of let go of the expectation that anything new that I make will be viewed with the same weight as the more seminal albums that I've made. Yeah. 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 And just let that go and just be like, look, you know, at this point in my career, the most important thing for me to do is to remind people why they love our band yeah. and to make sure that we are uh, kind of shutting the fuck up and just making the best music we possibly can. Yeah. Because I, I see so many people that I, I was, I was recently made aware of the concept of living out loud. Are you familiar with this concept? I've heard the phrase, but I chose not to really engage. Yeah. Which I, I it's perfectly understandable. Um, you know, the, the, I, somebody explained to me they had just turned 50 and they had started to kind of, um, you know, had been hip to the concept of living out loud, which is like, I'm just going to say it, man. I'm going to say the Ugh. shit that like, I Ugh. know it's not cool to say it, but I'm going to say it, man. Cause pe- this is how I, I know other people feel this way. And, you know, living out loud just seems to me in some ways to be a boorish way of trying to kind of maintain to kind of deal with one's insecurity about a world that's passing them by, mm-hmm. by kind of just hunkering down in their belief system and not allowing any room for uh, personal growth or change, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's also a perfectly awesome way to ruin one's legacy, right? <laughs> and I've, I've seen, you know, people, of course, will go nameless, but there are a number right, of right, right. that I, I grew up admiring so much who just can't shut the fuck up. Yep, yep. They can't shut the fuck up. They can't just exist in the space that they have been so blessed to have right yeah and just live in that space and and feed the world 
the good things that they make, right? right. Instead, right. It, they take up, they're like, I'm just going to start talking to yeah, I'm going to go on Alex Jones's podcast. I'm going to talk. Right. I'm going to say we're going to talk about some shit, man. I'm going to yeah. I'm me, musician. I'm going to talk about vaccines. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Dude, maybe yeah. maybe you shouldn't. Exactly. And and you know, I I think that these are conversations that should be had amongst you know, close friends and yeah. people that you trust and they're and uh and it's not to say that you're not living your real, you're, you're, you're not, you're presenting a false sense of yourself to the rest of the world, but they're just things about us that everybody doesn't need to know. Right. And, and as I get older, the most important thing to me, or one of the most important things to me is to just make sure that I stay in my lane and, and do the thing, be in public doing the thing that people have known me for and that people, yeah. people want from me. And that's not, that's not to, I don't see that as diminishing or my personality or limiting my speech or whatever. It's just about like, dude, I don't want people to hear my name and be like, I fucking love that guy. Yeah. Rather than like, oh God, you hear what that guy said about, you know, Biden or something, you know, yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. No, I don't be that guy. no, we, it, that's a callback to not to people stopping telling, you no, you know, is that you think like, yeah, I know about vaccines. No, you don't. You really don't. You, yeah. You, you really know don't. about amps. Uh, I don't even know about amps. Well, you know what, what you're saying strikes me a lot about uh, the, the way that someone has viewed a craft forever. Like I'm, you know, I'm a stone cutter and I'm going to just stone cut or, you know, I, I my kids, especially they w watch a lot of, you know, like street food kind of videos from around the world. And it's like, the guy in Thailand who's been making noodles by hand his entire life and he, you know, mashes them out with a log that he, you know, that he puts his leg over and his leg has a permanent hump in it from where he's been mashing out noodles. And I often think about those people. Do they think at a certain point, like, man, I wonder what it's like to not make noodles. Um, but they just end up it's like, no, they're making these they're making the best noodles that they possibly can. And that's what has given them meaning you know that's what that's what provides them with meaning and a sense of direction and all the stuff that you're supposed to get from god frankly you know i mean gives you a place to be and a reason to be here and a and a, and a place to go i yeah i agree and i think that you know not to kind of you know tip it back into old man yells at cloud clouds territory but i yeah. think that i think that the environment that we're now living in um with the kind of omnipresence of social media has kind of placed us all in a position where we, we are, we are all living with a, you know, varying levels of FOMO for the things that we don't, you know, that we're not participating in at that, at that moment. And it yeah, can be yeah. something as innocuous as like, Oh, my friends are in, you know, the Caribbean and they're having a great time. And, oh man, it would be great to be there. I'm kind of angry that I'm seeing these photos because they're having a great time to, Oh yeah. Well, you know, actually, you know, maybe I should kind of, you know, maybe I should kind of start getting more of my opinions out there about things. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe people need to know. People need to know what Ben Gibbard thinks about <laughs> you know, whatever topic kind of like hoved into my field of vision on yep. Instagram today. I really need to chime in on this. This is important that I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I make sure that everybody knows that I support, you know, 
A, B, C, D, and E. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, of course there are moments where it's important to kind of voice those things, but sure. more often than not, um, I've, I view, I've, I've started to view social media as, as something that inhibits creativity in the sense that, um, for example, I, I have friends who have not made a record in five or six years, but who tweet all day long, yeah. right? Who, who, and I, I believe that there's like, there is creative, you are expending creative energy when that you could be using for more, um, noble purposes, uh, ouch. Are you, you're saying this about me, aren't you? Absolutely not. God Absolutely damn not. it. No, but just, I know, <laughs> I know I'm wasting my life. No, 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 no. I just, I mean, I mean, I know, what, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and, and it's, it's true. And, and it's, and I think also, you know, when we, when we were first starting out, um, you know, pre social media world, you know, the, you put the work in making a record, writing songs and everything. If, 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 if you're, sole motivation was to have an audience to be in front of an audience yeah. that, that at least required doing work on the front end to justify being in front of an audience you had to make a record you had to make a movie you had to make a tv show you had to do you had to make something present it and then be on stage basking in the glory of the thing that you made right sure but i think what i've seen with some of my um contemporaries is that one can be on stage and on the toilet you know, mm-hmm. you can just be on the toilet and be on, literally like on stage in front of people expounding your views and beliefs on things. And I, I really I've, I've seen it become a, a, a somewhat detrimental uh, development in some of my friends lives who yeah. who um, I, I would argue probably less so for younger artists who've kind of grown up with it and know how to manage it. Yeah. I think for older people. um. It, it can be a really devastating rabbit hole to go down because there's a void in your life and you're filling it with social media yeah, and expounding opinions and just trying to, trying to maintain control over some kind of narrative or something. Yeah. It's all a balance. I mean, that stuff can be really good and really fun and really useful. And then also just another, you're back on a playground and kids are picking on you and you're picking on kids and it's just, as valid as that. Well, you've, I, I, we've gone long here. Thank you so much. I mean, we've been having such a good conversation that, uh, we've gone a little long here. So let's, let's wrap it up with, um, your, you know, the main point of your life, uh, boil down to one statement. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, like what do you, what, what's the one, the biggest thing you think you've learned out of the path that you followed? You know, whether that's like a piece of advice that you kind of could give or, or just sort of something that, you know, that you can share. Yeah. I, I, when I was younger and first starting out, um, the band was first, first starting and we had written a record, maybe two, I started to become very, uh, afraid that if I had not, written something that I was proud of or that I felt was good in, in whatever window of time I had determined that I needed to do it, that, you know, my creativity was in the toilet. Like I, it was gone. Yeah. And I think that a lot of young artists, you know, there's an adage, I don't know if you ever heard this kind of uh, adage as it pertains to musicians, but 
there's a there's this kind of a thing, kind of a oft repeated kind of thing observation that goes: you have your whole life to write your first record, right? Then you have six months to write the second one, and the second one is whatever was left off the first record, yeah, plus the six songs you wrote in that six months, and then the third record is the quote unquote difficult third record, yeah, starting completely from scratch. You've yep. used up everything, right? Yeah, and there were moments early in my career where I would feel like I, I was experiencing a little bit of writer's block and immediately go to, well, that's it. I'm done. I'm cooked. No yeah. more songs. I've done all the work I'm ever going to do. And over the years, I've learned that writing is a muscle and it's something that you need to kind of, it atrophies when you don't use it. And then when you start using it again and you, you start kind of building strength that takes a while, right? You don't immediately go, you, you have to kind of like, you, you know, you start writing again and you're not getting exactly what you want, but eventually you kind of, your powers kind of come back and you, and you start to kind of get somewhere and you start to kind of uh, write things that you're starting to view as good. And that might be part of a record or whatever it might be. And so a piece of advice that I find myself giving younger artists when I hear them kind of going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, don't know. I haven't written a song. I know what I'm going to do. I always tell them, you know, unsolicited, of course, obviously, um, you know, look, your creativity is within you. It's, it's, it's what made you do it in the first place. It doesn't just one day go away. You don't have 30 songs in you and then you're, then you're done. Then you, you will never write another song again. Yeah. But the longer, the longer you do this, the more lifting you have to do to get that muscle strong again, it becomes more difficult mm-hmm. and it is entirely worth it to put in the work, but it, it does become slightly more difficult and it requires more care and it, re- it requires more attentiveness to your craft. Um, and so that's some, that's that's something that I've learned that I've I felt is important to impart upon upon young artists is that yeah your your creativity is within you it, it's not going away um, but having said that it requires attention and it, re- it requires you know interfacing with it and you have to be willing to fail more than you succeed um, I mean we wrote ninety songs for this record and there are eleven songs on the record wow you know that's you know. And when I say 90, I don't mean like 90 amazing songs that everybody needs to hear. There's a reason they're not on the record uh-huh. <laughs> because yeah. there are what, like 79 failures and 11, you know, 11 victories. Right. Yeah. So it, 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 you, it just requires a lot of care and a lot of work and it's entirely uh, satisfying and worth it in the long run. But um, I would just, I would just recommend that no one ever get too discouraged and and to never think that if you haven't written something that, you know, in a month or something like that, that you're never going to write again. It's going to happen. You just have to kind of allow it to happen and allow it to come to you and put in the work. And, and uh, as you know, the, I've, the, I love the phrase, inspiration likes to find you hard at work, right? Yeah. You, there'll be a week, there'll be months where I'll be not getting anything I feel is of any quality. And then I'll just sit down and within 15 minutes, it's like it's beamed down from another planet. Mm-hmm. And all of those, all of that time that you spend failing was setting you up for this one success. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Ben. Uh, and the, the new album is called 
It's called Asphalt Meadows. Asphalt Meadows, and it's out September 16th. So uh, everyone go buy it or steal it or whatever you guys do with albums these days. I think I think now we've been uh, instructed to tell people to pre-save it. Oh, pre-save on, on it, everyone. Their, their, uh, their streaming service of choice, which is yeah. uh, kind of... It's like, a, I know, I think it's, I think since we put out the last record, this has become, uh, now the request that you make of your fans. Pre-save, Pre-save everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, Ben Gebert, thank you so much, uh, for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you've been very generous. And you all out there have been generous with your time too. And I thank you for listening. And I will be back next week with three more questions. They're the same questions, but there will be three more. Big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blayert, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.